Join us and unwind with a good book. Welcome to Relaxing Reads. We are recording. Okay. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you guys. <laughs> you too. This is really cool, oh actually. Happy this to see you too. Cool idea to do this. Yeah. It's funny it how we've gone this long without even being like, maybe we should put our cameras on and look at each Honestly. other. And that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very true. Hi, it's Devin Halifax. Hi, it's Simone in Vancouver. Hey, it's Tanya in Edmonton. Well, our latest read, The Myth Makers, is Kaziah Weir's debut novel about a young journalist named Sal, who discovers a short story by an older author she met years ago. The story she believes is about her and that moment she met the man Martin. Her life is in shambles with a relationship falling apart and a career that's taking a nosedive. So why not leave it all behind in search of that manuscript? This leads to an entanglement with the author's widow, daughter, and former best friend friend. It's a story about the memory, perspective through different timelines, love, discovery within oneself, and the twists and turns that life presents. And so much more. (laughs) So ladies, how are we feeling about this? There are so many layers. Yeah, it was definitely a layered book. You really have to pay attention, I feel, when you're reading it, because there there's a lot of info, not a lot of characters, which is nice. I mean, we've mm-hmm. read books that have had over 10, 12 main characters, so that's kind of nice. It's easy to follow along in that sense. But um, yeah, you're kind of just wondering the whole time where you're going to go. So I liked that, that it wasn't at all obvious in any way, because you were always kind of wondering, what is the next step going to be? I think I agree, Simone. I, I was thinking like, I love that the author just kept you guessing. Like you, you think you're going along kind of one path. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next chapter is like, oh, that didn't happen. Oh, this happened. And then as you as you get towards, you know, the middle halfway past the book, you're like, oh, okay. Like it, it completely changed in terms of who's mm-hmm. doing what and and the different perceptions that are out there. And I just, I loved reading it. I thought that uh, that she's a great storyteller. And um, I really got involved. I just got involved in the world of the book. Like even just back and forth. I mean, the author takes us through different timelines. You know, you're in like 1960, mm-hmm. 70 New York City. And then it goes to the present. And I, I, I always kind of judge a book or a movie or whatever by like, am I inside of it? You know, do mm. I not want to put it down? And um, right. and for, for me, um, I really got inside of this book. Definitely just sort of, I could kind of feel the characters like walking down the street. I know that sounds really weird, but I just immersed myself totally in the world that Keziah actually wrote about. And it was quite the world. And, and Tanya, you talk about uh, judging a book. <laughs> I felt I was doing that with all of the characters and then having to backtrack and having a different feeling about them in every movement with where they were going, what was happening. I mean, just like life, right? You know, never judge a book by its cover, but we do that with people all the time. This book was a lot about life. Like just, (laughs) really. It's interesting, though, you know, we've all kind of been probably in our life at some point obsessed with something or felt kind of a deeper meaning. What was interesting is that Sal reading this book essentially was like, wow, this this has got to be about me. And let me just leave my whole life and everything I'm doing to go chase this story. So I don't know if any of us has ever had that desire before where you felt a greater calling or something to go chase some kind of a dream or a scenario or follow up with something. But I just thought that was interesting that she kind of thought this was about her 
and kind of was, but the desire to go and want to find out more. Hmm. I think I've probably had a lot of things that I wanted to chase, but never had it in me to actually go complete, you know, some ideas in mind like, oh, I should try this or I ought to do that, but never enough gumption like Sal to, you know, just completely throw everything behind and, and, and go for it. Yeah, I don't know whether I mean, I guess I, I mean, I've talked about this before where I sort of you know, finished with radio. And then I, um, you know, went traveling through Europe on my own in my 30s. And then when I came back and I'm staying at my parents' house, (laughs) you know, on the farm in my 30s going, okay, Tanya, now what? And I guess I did, you know, then I went to theater school, right? I went back to Vancouver and I did, I I went to acting school. So I guess I sort of chased it um, on that level. But um, yeah, I never like... Not like Sal, like not just sort of, I mean, she's in New York City and then she goes to this little town like an hour away and tries to find this author's uh, widow, right? This this woman or she, she wanted to find the author first, but then she realized he had passed away recently. So she knew she couldn't get her answers from him. So she had to go looking somewhere else. And And that is when we get to meet Moira, who I thought was a very interesting, interesting woman. And one of the things that I, I kind of caught on was that, you know, when she when Sal first met Moyer, she, she's like, oh, you're not a very remarkable woman at all. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and she said that she's like, you're not, you're unremarkable, you know, and then we learn throughout the book how remarkable I, I thought that Moira really was. I, I totally was captivated by her. Everyone has a story. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think everybody has a story, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times have you met someone? You're like, eh. but then you always you get to you get to know them, and they become so much more than what that initial meeting was, right? Right. And not only is this book about all these relationships and how they kind of, at some point, tie into each other, but the parts about space. Like, that was a whole different side of this book, and that's what I was so into, like these conversations around, you know, the whole idea about Einstein's theory of how energy can't ever disappear. When plants and humans and animals die, the energy has to go somewhere. It gets absorbed by the universe. That's where my head was spinning, all these things like, yeah, and then how you're connected with these beings and you might separate in life and then you can sometimes find your way back. It really gets into those conversations around energy and that connection and having that magnetism towards someone or to want to go do something like this, like chase this story. Yeah, I love that. um, Because I find comfort when a friend of mine said that to me quite a number of years ago, I guess it was after my dad had passed. And he said, you know, his energy will always remain with you. And wherever he has gone, he will be there. Like if you visit those places he's been, he will still be around you. You hear people talk, well, I feel his presence or I feel their presence around me. I feel like they're they're with me, even though they're not presently here. So I've always kept that in mind. And um, thinking about some of my travels, myself or friends or family and thinking, yeah, we are really leaving our mark, um, you know, on this world in all these places um, that we've traveled, explored, and, uh, you know, come to love. So I I love that part of it as well. And it it made me feel um, very warm. It, it was a it was a great, great part of the story, I think. You're, you're right, Deb. Like, and, and Simone, it's, it, 
this feeling that perhaps our energy doesn't leave, you know, that in somehow it, it stays maybe within the people who are most important to us or that we actually, you know, other than like getting a Nobel Prize um, and we're remembered that way, we're actually remembered deep inside the tissues of someone's body, right? Deep inside that we make our mark on, on people um, and their memory of us. And that's how our energy kind of like lives on. And that was very comforting to know too, because I have all sorts of things about you know life and death <laughs> that I just don't even want to go. And I can't, I'm like, I can't talk about it. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, I, I found that very comforting in that Moira is very involved in that and, and some of her thoughts about, you know, the universe and stars and planets and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm. Such a fascinating part of the book. Okay, so we have our main character, Sal, who finds this manuscript and reads it and finds and feels like it's about her because at one point she did have a run-in with someone that she kind of remembers and she remembers the story. And then she goes on to meet the widow, tries to get more information about this, leaving behind her boyfriend. And then the widow is here kind of giving her some information. And then she goes to meet the friend. So it's kind of like she thinks the author is obsessed with her, but it turns into her obsession with the author. And then when we get to kind of the end of it, I feel like that's when it really picks up, when she goes and meets um, the best friend and actually hears something that she totally didn't think it was. Um, about the author and a for- his former partner. Was it Lillian? Yes. Lillian. Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. that part really caught me off guard. And then it got me thinking about these authors and manuscripts. And is there cases out there where, you know, we come to find out that this is not, it wasn't his story to tell. It was someone else's story. Like, has this ever happened before? Or does this happen? It's a, it's a great mm. question, isn't it? Especially when somebody passes. And if those who um, may have a copy or have that in their hands, have their manuscript or, or their work without knowing what might be in it, is it theirs to hold on to? Like who owns the property? How how does that how does that work? And uh, yeah, th- I mean, there are so many questions surrounding that. And whether it's a you know a professional writer or or somebody who's just you know, written their own diaries that tell a lot of tales about a lot of people in in their life. I I don't know what the rules are around that. I guess in our world, it could be almost like a, you know, we're in music and stuff. It could be like a biopic, you know, if an artist has passed and then their work comes out, but someone else is putting it together. It's like, you know, how do we know how much of that story would that person have wanted to be shared? Hmm, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And everybody that's met that person has a different feeling, a different story, um, a different reaction to their experiences with them. Absolutely. Like something could be swayed simply because of the relationship that the person who's putting together the, the biopic or whatever had with that person, right? What kind of knowledge yeah. did they have of that person? And we all have different perceptions of people. And that would come out in an art piece as well, right? Like you think it's this person's like this and someone else thinks, well, no, I didn't have that experience at all. So I think they're always objective. Like I think, Mm -hmm. you know, with something like that and you're right, like a novel, I don't, I don't know. I I found it um, really interesting, sort of Sal's obsession with trying to get to the bottom of it. And as a reader, you're like, you're kind of there with her, you know, as she's trying to put together the pieces. And yeah, finally, when you know, she's she's talking to Moira and she's like trying to get information out and Moira is just not giving her anything. 
And and then she finds Wesley, right? Mm-hmm. And um, who used to be Martin's best friend. And that kind of took me on a whole a whole other thing. It's you know, like I said, we, they went back to 1960s New York City, and you find out that that Wesley Martin and this woman Lillian were all best friends, living in a one bedroom apartment, going to speakeasies and writing and quoting poems and stuff like that. And I just thought that's it's sort of interesting. Um, the people that we have in our lives at the very early stages, and whether those people are still in our lives, and uh, the writer takes us through these lives and how everything changes. And you find out that, you know, Wesley and Martin used to be really, really cl- close, you know, in their early 20s. And um, you find out what happened. And then they they didn't speak together. They lived five minutes apart outside of New York City, but they didn't speak together for 20 years. And you just think, like, how interesting lives are that things can happen that change the course of one's life. Or your relationship mm-hmm. with somebody. And she really dives into that. And you find out so many things. And, and I'm, I'm like, did Lillian pick the wrong guy? Like, I kind of feel, yeah. feel like she should have went with um, Wesley. Um, but, uh, yeah. But, again, you're 20-something and living the life. And you don't always make the best choices. But you make a choice and you live with them. I just liked yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. When I talk about the world of the book, I just sort of liked all that because I think everybody can relate to people that they used to know. Mm-hmm. Is that song? <laughs> Somebody I used to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, this one. Now you're just somebody I used to know, you know, lives are complicated. People are complicated. And I find that was really interesting. She really kind of, the writer really delved into how complicated people really are, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, because we are different people in our 20s compared to our 30s and beyond. Um, You know, there are some things that remain the same, your your true core values and morals and that sort of thing. But it's interesting, the circle of friends, if you still have, you know, a number of friends from 20, 30 years ago. That's, I think, unique for a lot of people. Um, But to think back with the people that you used to hang out with, you thought you would never leave. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And and then you look back, say, 40 years down the road, I'm like, oh, no, I don't know how we ever meshed, how we ever connected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like the three of them were the best of friends. And then there's always that situation. If you've had a group of like three friends and then a couple breaks up and then you're kind of all just lost because it's like you kind of go your separate ways. And that's kind of sad, too, when when you have to choose a friendship or something ends and like, you know, Wesley was quite close with Lillian as well. But then he he felt Mm -hmm. like he had to take a step back. And yeah. Now, what did you think about uh, the whole story again? Now we after we meet Myra, we learn about her daughter. Mm hmm. Caroline. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I think they asked Moira whether she would make the same decision that she did with Martin. Would she choose that again if she if she could do it over and I think she she probably would but she said except we have Caroline now and I think Caroline is her world and I think to Martin Caroline was his world as well so their daughter was everything to them Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I found it interesting about Martin is that he was forever trying to be able to write and he couldn't right 
I mean, Lillian was the one who got him the job, the editor job, and he was like forever editing people's stories. Always worried that someone would scoop his idea because he could never write. And I, I wondered about that. That it's like th- that feeling of just not being able to do the one thing, the one thing that you just really want to do and you can't do it. Like that is just hard. But then you find out that he couldn't hear music. Remember that part of the book where he could not yeah. physically hear music? It didn't make sense in his brain. And I didn't realize that that was a thing, that people actually have that condition. So when Caroline's all in music and all that, and he can't hear it, but then he finds out about the composers that she likes. He reads about the composers, and then he makes up stories about the composers. And then the music made sense to him. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up right. writing a book of stories about her composers that she loved. And he gave that to her um, a year before he died. And I thought, oh, my, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool know, that he was sweet. finally able to write something. Yeah. <laughs> Get over yeah, the writer's exactly. block. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and what mm-hmm. a, an accomplished piece, you know, especially to for his daughter. And wasn't there a, a point in the book where she was listening to music when she was younger and she thought he he just didn't like music because he he told her to, you know, quit it, stop. Like, that's just noise. Nonsense. Yeah. I, I, yeah, just noise. Like, just, and she didn't think that he really, truly appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was, she was interesting. I, I really quite liked her character um, and how, I mean, she was struggling too because she just wanted to be, I think, like a musician in an orchestra and she would, she, but she hated to audition. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's yeah. auditioned for anything knows how horrible it is to audition. Constant disappointment. Yeah. Um, and then she found, you know, she found her niche um, doing music therapy, which I thought was a really cool thing um, outside of San Francisco. I thought that was kind of cool that they, they did that. And of course, then the fire. Oh, that was crazy. <laughs> the the oh fire gosh. in the novel. Yeah. Oh, I had images of, I had images of her British crawling Columbia, to like get to a safe spot. And then you didn't even know what ended up happening. She just jumped oh, into the pool. Yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, I think uh, Deb, how Nova Scotia had a lot of fires last year. That's right. Right. Like mm-hmm. you kind yeah. of like, I totally got that. I've, I've been in a place where the sky is orange and you can't see anything and you have to wear a mask to go out. And it's uh, so scary. So to have her put that in the book, yeah, the the fires in California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, you, you kind of think about the book, so it kind of really highlights a lot of their struggles and trials and tribulations of things they have to get to. Like, you know, Sal has to prove herself again after that article came out with that person she interviewed, which was absolutely horrible. So now she's chasing this manuscript because she's like, this is going to be my piece. And then you have Martin who couldn't, you know, get his book uh, written the way he wanted to. So he's got that constant struggle. Then you have his daughter who's now struggling with what she wants to do. So it's just, it's interesting how there was a lot of adversity that all of them faced. Nothing was coming easy to any of these characters, which is kind of like real life and stuff we go through we all have dreams and aspirations and then it's kind of like sometimes you have to pivot because it's not working well and that's exactly what Lillian did I mean she was she was a ballerina Mm -hmm. I can't imagine getting a physical industry you know injury that halts your career like just that's it and and she had to pivot you know she's like well what am I going to do now I kind of like poems (laughs) you know so she started (laughs) writing so so did any of you did you guys get like that she wrote the novel? No. Did no. you get that? that I didn't. No. I didn't. That was a total twist for me. 
Yeah, and Tanya, yeah. you're usually good at kind of cracking the codes. Um, but I know. More... <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see it. No, I, know. I didn't read it. No. When she put it together, that it wasn't Martin who came up to see her. It was Lillian, and you were like. Oh, interesting. So it's like yeah. he he couldn't write his own story. So now he's just taking her work and putting it out to the world. And I'm like, that is scary, too, because it's selling it as your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's very relatable, Plagiarism. too, in life, mm-hmm. isn't it? <laughs> it is. You that have a good so idea true. and yeah. someone steals your idea or they're just, they take it and run or they're better at executing it. And then you're kind of just left like, maybe I should just keep my ideas to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody needs to know. Yeah. 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 And so true. Uh, Sal was in her 20s, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Do we, we mm-hmm. know how? Yeah. So uh, when she was at the party, when she first meets Martin, where it all kind of began, just reminded me of, you know, our industry and some of those parties when we're trying to impress and trying to kind of do the schmoozing when we don't really know at that time when we started in the business, like, what is this all about? I'm not like, I'm not understanding a lot of things. It brought me to a couple of those parties when I was in my 20s as well. So I not that I, you know, pursued what she did and, and, you know, went that route. But it kind of brought me back to, yeah, sometimes when you're in your 20s and you're just starting out in your career, you don't really know which way to go. And you just kind of try to follow the lead. And maybe the lead is not the best lead for you. And then it takes you on a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Like she's in her 20s. And then it brought me to like, her drinking so much and blacking out and not remembering. And I haven't had a lot of blackout nights, but I have had nights where I've either come home and passed out right away and you can't remember a lot of the night if you've had too many cocktails or something like that. And then it just it makes you realize like how many nights can we have in our life where we don't remember things? We don't remember conversations with people because we're mm-hmm. just kind of floating around. We're in a bubble. And when you are drinking and stuff, you're social, but you're not really present. You're not really engaged. You're kind of just like jumping from person to person, not remembering conversations. And it's just, you know, that whole side of it too is where you grow up and you're like, no, I actually want to remember my nights. I want to remember conversations mm-hmm. with people and be present and not get into situations that could potentially be scary. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's sort of like, like you said, so like it's surface conversation, right? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like this drabble that you do as you're having your, you know, 10th glass of wine kind of a thing. And I mean, I was just at a party the other night on Saturday night and saw some friends that I hadn't seen in a very long time. And someone had boxed wine, which I thought was quite interesting because <laughs> I'm kind of a wine snob. And I'm like, but it's sugar free. I'm like, OK. Um, and he just kept pouring these glasses of wine. And I remember like getting home and I had it was like everyone had to bring something. And so I had all this stuff that I brought home with me. And I did not remember putting it in the fridge. Like I got up the next morning. I'm like, who put all this stuff away? And my boyfriend's like, you did. <laughs> Oh, so, you know, Simone, what you're talking about, these kind of blank spaces, and then you just sort of, you know, as you're sitting down on your couch the next morning having your coffee going, I don't like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't wasn't blindingly, you know, out of it, but I'd had enough Mm -hmm. that little things just didn't didn't stay in my memory, and and I'm like, hmm, I don't 
you know, other than the fact that I had to take an Advil, I'm like, I don't really like these blank spaces. No. And even you know? even if you're not, if you've got loose lips, like, you know, I have coworkers who have been like, oh, I went out last night and you know, I had a couple drinks and you just get a little more of that liquid courage. And I said a few things to a friend's new girlfriend, but I think she might have taken offense to it because it might be just your personality coming out and you could be someone who's goofy or straight up, but someone else, yeah. you know, you come across as like, oh, what did I say? So even those moments, but um, yeah, she's still young. She has a lot of a lot of learning to do as well. Yeah, yeah Sal had some moments. Does. Yeah, she did. <laughs> what did you think? Do you think she was unfair in the way she treated her boyfriend? Yeah, hmm. yeah. I I think so. I think so. I mean, we don't really know what she said at the bar that caused her to kind of uproot her life and move, or and go get out of New York City. And he went to Boston. I think he went to family in Boston. I don't know. I, I he was reaching out to her with texts, and she was ignoring him. And I don't like it yeah. when someone ignores a text, like because you know you get it, right? You know everybody yep. gets it. It's instantaneous. So to ignore it, I think, is just really disrespectful. Like, mm-hmm. even if you just do a thumbs yeah. up or something, something really <laughs> simple. Um, but you know what I did like at the end of the book uh, was sometimes we always want to have the last word, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially when a relationship is ending, you want to kind of have the last, like, I don't know, whatever it is. I'm sorry I did that or blah, 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 blah. And she goes to where they used to live and she's going to confront Hugh. And she sees him before he sees her. And he's walking along the street. And he's got his headphones on and he's got a smile on his face. He's talking to somebody. And she sees him. She's like, that's his happy smile. That's his happy smile. And then she stepped back and and hid behind the buildings. And it, it was sort of like, who am I to disturb his newfound happiness. Why do I need to go in and like have the last word? So I'm like, good for you, Sal, because you don't need to disrupt whatever's going on with him. He's moved past you mm-hmm. as he should. And I liked that she wrote it that way, that she didn't kind of barge in and go, I'm so sorry. You know, she just let him be. Yeah. She let him be, let him be in his happiness. And you don't always have to have the last word. Sometimes it's just not productive, you know, especially yeah. when you think about how it will be received by the other person. Do you have a right to affect another person in that way? Mm-hmm. So kind of like that she took the high road. Yeah, because, I mean, you we all make choices for ourselves. And if you're making selfish choices when you are involved with someone, you can't expect them to wait around. There has to be in a partnership. It's got to be kind of a mutual conversation and communication. And if it's one sided, it's not going to work. So. Um, yeah, that was interesting that, yeah, she just kept ignoring him and not just being like, I'm working on something or, you know, like yeah. just, I want space, I want space. And she was just kind of, you know, you can't uh, expect him to, to wait around. But yeah, I was surprised that she she gave him that space in the end. I, I guess it, it shows with her experiences and meeting the folks that she did along the way that she took something from it. And, you know, it was it was heartfelt. So well done, Sal. Mm, yeah. Well done, Sal. You grew up, Sal. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but all in all, like a lot, a lot in this book. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a good, it's a good read. It'll kind of keep you stringing along. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It'll keep you focused. It's well written. For sure. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it very much mm-hmm. is. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about this forever. We I know. Talk- <laughs> I know. There, like, there are a lot of... Lillian, yeah. the car crash that she didn't actually die in the I car know. crash. Oh, oh yeah, that gosh. too, right? <laughs> 
I guess right. it, like she like layers like but again that's lots. a retelling of a story so what yes. is the actual story and how did you yeah. hear it it's just always yeah. that game of telephone right oh did you yeah. hear this happen yes. and someone's like no but I heard that happened oh no wait like we don't unless you're in that situation do you really have mm-hmm. all the facts right it's like the you're game right. of secret that we played as a kid or pass it on was it like you sit around in a circle with the kids like and then <laughs> pass it on and then by the time it comes back to the person and they have to explain what they the story they heard and it's completely different by the time it makes the round yeah <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see this on the big screen because there are so many stories within stories and see how it might play out or go back and read it because I'm kind of forgetting about all these little extras that, that happened within it. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I need to give this one a reread. Like, I feel like there's yeah. a lot in it and there would be mm-hmm. more to learn from it because this one's definitely a deeper book. I know some of the books we read are quite light and they're fun and they're romantic yeah. and you get through it. This one really makes you think about a lot of things and um, just the conversations and the character build. And yeah, it was definitely good. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah, really absolutely. good one. And lucky for us, we were able to have Tanya have a conversation with Kaziah Weir and ask her some of our burning questions. Hey there, my name is Tanya, and today we're speaking with Keziah Weir, who wrote The Myth Makers. Hello, Keziah. Hi, it's so lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, we read, we read your book, and, um, and it, was, it was absolutely amazing. Now, of course, you are, are no stranger to writing. I mean, you're a senior editor at Vanity Fair. I mean, your, your writing has appeared in, in the New York Times, in Elle, Esquire, just, uh, just a few of those, or many more after that. And, and so you're no stranger to writing. So this, The Mythmakers, is your, your debut novel. How does that feel? It's very exciting and um, uh, and also terrifying. <laughs> I I'm sort of through that through that, but um, now now that it's been out for for a little while, but um, it's most mostly exciting at this point. <laughs> I bet. And and how long did it take you to go? I I think I want to actually write a novel. So I um, I studied creative writing in college, and I um, I think I always had the idea that at some point I would try to write a novel, but Mm -hmm. I started uh, trying to write this one when I was 22. And uh, that was, you know, in uh, 2014 at this point. So, um, so it, it took some time and it took a little bit of time to figure out how to do it. And Uh it went through many early messy draft before it even came close to the finished version, um, although there are some aspects that have remained throughout. But it's been a it's been a, a few been, years. Been a point. journey. Well, I, I think I read that you were in your 20s living in New York City. So so definitely sort of like a very creative place to start writing yeah. a novel. <laughs> And I think Definitely. that, and I think that comes up a lot in uh, in the book, and I'll get to that in a little bit later. But but just for now, it's like you know there are so many layers in this book. I mean, there's a there's a lot of winding roads with all the characters that you've introduced. Like, how did it all come about creating these characters and and weaving this story together? Yeah, I uh, so the first character who showed up for me was Moira, um, who 
kind of appeared very early on before there was a plot or before there was any kind of, before I had any understanding of what she was going to be doing, Moira showed up. And then from there, it was, it was all kinds of things. But I went to a reading at the New York Public Library, which having read the book um, will not be unfamiliar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, was sort of in conversation with um, a, a man who was, in his late 70s, you know, it was a very short conversation, but he uh, was very supportive of, of what I, you know, I think I told him probably that I wanted to be writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very supportive of that. And then it turned out afterwards that he was this sort of cult favorite screenwriter. And I, you know, of course, had no idea at the time. But so that interaction sort of stuck with me. And um, I thought, well, gosh, what if he had been a novelist? There was a young woman who who had been having maybe a career that wasn't working out so well for her. Um, and then she met this person who who kind of gave her this early hope. And then uh, and then what if he maybe put that into uh, into one of his own stories? And um, and the idea just kind of spun out from there. Yeah, definitely. And and so so in creating Martin, of course, who is the who is the older uh, novelist that there's a lot of focus on him throughout the book. And of course, his his many relationships that you kind of weaved in in throughout the book. Now, how easy was it to to write about writers? You know, because that is what um, you are, and and you started you know, going. Okay, well, I'm going to write about writers and and all of the things that that go into that. I think, especially at that point, it was very hard for me to not write about writers. <laughs> I, um, you know, I uh, had just graduated. All I all I'd been doing for four years was uh, thinking about writing, and then um, you know, for the however many years that it took to write this book. I was around a lot of writers. I was thinking about writing in the job that I had for for most of the time that I was writing this book. I was working at Elle magazine and I was interviewing a lot of authors, primarily female authors. So so that was sort of what I was thinking about all the time. And um, a lot of the books that I really love and that I, you know, have loved since my teens are about writers and but then I think what I had a lot of fun with with this book is that through the various characters and encounters that the narrator Sal has she then sort of enters um, a lot of worlds that are not about writing and you know one of uh, Moira's daughter, for instance, is a, a pianist, and I have classical musicians for parents, so that's a world that I'm aware of, but I'm not right in, but it was very fun to sort of sink into that world. Um, and, you know, of course, Moira's a physicist. Uh, I am very much not. And uh, and so getting to read just stacks of books on physics and theory and and debates about UFOs like that was all that was all very very fun and um felt like a big escape from uh the world that I'm in that I also love yeah you know and and that was one thing I I wanted to touch on was just like you know I'm reading the book and I'm going 
how is it that Kaziah knows all about this stuff? Like, you know, how does she know about physics? And how does she know about, you know, composers, uh, Beethoven, um, Chopin, Tchaikovsky, and, and, she, and then she talks about Sylvia Plath and Tolstoy and these writers. I'm like, oh my goodness, she's such a well-rounded, <laughs> you know, in terms of the arts. And I'm like, how, how did you, like, I remember reading about Caroline, and how she had that favorite piece of music. And I thought, I thought, well, how does, how does the writer, you know, know about all of this stuff? And it was just, uh, honestly, because I, it was just so well written when you talked about oh, all of these you. many different areas. And I'm like, she really knows her stuff. And it's like, <laughs> it just came across to the reader, to me, that I just learned a lot. And I really felt like I just got really embedded inside the characters so you come from sort of a a musical background but then you had to sort of work at the other stuff yeah yeah I'm, I'm so pleased to hear that so thank you but yeah so both of my parents are professional classical musicians they've now retired but you know my entire life that was they were playing um in orchestras and so it's a world that I have you know, gotten to see from the outside. Um, and then luckily I had, you know, two, two expert fact checkers who I could, <laughs> who I could right. send things to and make sure that they felt that, that things were, you know, accurate, accurate. And if anything was inaccurate, it's entirely on, on me and not, uh, not my parents. Uh, but, and then for, um, in terms of the physics, I have never had a math or, or science brain, but, um, I'm so, swayed by um, sort of like the big romantic concepts, which in the book, that is something that I share with Martin. Um, but I, and I just, I love reading about it. And so I, ha- I, I have to clean out my office, but I still have this stack of the books that I was reading when I was working on Moira's work. And mm-hmm. it was just a huge amount of reading to then pare down to what you see in the book, which is, you know, probably, you know, in total a couple paragraphs worth, you know, of, of writing. Um, but I, I've just always loved that. I think that's one of the real privileges of writing fiction is getting to sort of be like a bower bird where you're picking out all these like beautiful and interesting parts of the world and getting to run down rabbit holes. And, um, now I'm mixing all kinds of different metaphors, but, you know, plucking things out, getting to learn about them, and then stuffing them into <laughs> into the book is just that's my favorite thing about any kind of writing. It's what I love about nonfiction as well is getting to just really dive deep into into topics that I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily an expert in, or or I'm almost never an expert in. But um, but, but you get to have fun. Yeah. You get to have fun yeah, and, and create this of, world. <laughs> hugely fun yeah <laughs> yeah I think um, uh, Simone who's in Vancouver she was particularly taken with um, by, by Moira and you know she's a theoretical physicist and she looks to the stars and the planets for answers and all of that and that really um, connected with Simone so um, we'll definitely be, be discussing that when we have our, our discussion together so so really because I this this book is about relationships and, and you've certainly written um, a cast of characters that I think we can all relate to. Now, Sal is is one of your main narrators. She is a writer, and she she kind of got into a bit of a pickle where she interviewed a theater, um, a, a writer in theater, 
and and had it published, but only to find out that he just told her a whack of lie of lies. And I, I can't imagine what that does to somebody. So she basically just she left New York City and went to a little town outside of it in search of um, the, the wife of Martin, the, the writer that, that she is so enthralled with. And, and here she meets Moira. And, and the thing I think about, about people is sometimes you meet them and you don't really get their full essence. And certainly Sal said, she goes, you know, Moira was an unremarkable woman. <laughs> and, you know, as it turns yeah. out, she actually was quite remarkable. How did you come up with this, with this character and, and gave her life? I was so interested in sort of jumping outside of, you know, my own personal experience. Um, Obviously, I'm very much not a physicist, but I've always been very interested in sort of, you know, like reading about uh, science. I am so grateful for science journalists and and nonfiction writers who are able to sort of metabolize things for me and so that I can then read and understand them to a, a certain degree. And so I just, I re- read a ton of, of books and Moira as a character came together sort of on her own. She just showed up. Um, I've had really wonderful sort of like chosen family members uh, mm. over, over the years who are... Um, family friends and um you know women women in their 60s and 70s and and older than that who uh, I just have had admiration and fondness for and I think that Moira sort of ended up getting little bits of of various people from my life yeah and I think sometimes you know we meet people and we really don't we don't get them you know which is why Sal made that comment and then you get to know them and you find out that they are so much more than than how they just kind of appear at the beginning. And I kind of loved that you delved into that and developed Sal's and Moya's uh, relationship. And you just learned so much about her life, which is which is always interesting, I think, for a reader or just in, in life, how you the more you get to know somebody, the more you know about the intricacies of their life and and how they all came about and just how much more interesting they are as people. And I guess everybody has their own story, really, you know. Yeah, Uh, I think that all of us are more than just um, sort of the surface or, you know, it's I think it's very easy to dismiss people. And I think um, almost uh, almost universally, people are more interesting and complicated than than they are, you know, in the first seconds of meeting. <laughs> Absolutely. And certainly when you, you know, when you talk about relationships, I, I loved how you you framed the book sort of in, in, in a life, you know, in the beginning, you're in 60s, 70s, New York City, when, you know, Lillian and Wesley and Martin are, are young 20 somethings, you know, and, and what their relationships were like then. And then as life goes on, and, and things develop between people, sometimes they don't end up, you know, in the same way that they started. And we certainly see that with, with Martin and, and Wesley, who were very good friends, um, only to find out that they lived, you know, mere minutes from each other later on in life and didn't talk for 20 years. That is yeah, so- yeah. I think that's something that happens in in a lot of people's. It can happen to a lot of people's lives. Yeah, and sometimes it's um, precipitated by some big event, and sometimes it's just sort of like a slow falling away from each other. But yeah, that that was a sad thing to write because I did really love writing about their friendship when they, 
we're speaking. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's hard when <laughs> when characters decide that they're not going to, uh, you know, stay together in various capacities. But and uh, and also talking about you know people in general and and sometimes not always getting what you want you have one of your characters Lillian who who trained as a ballerina but very early in her career she was injured and she couldn't continue so she had to sort of you know regroup and go well what else do I like to do and and I really felt for Martin um you know he he just wanted to be a writer and and ended up you know he did write a few things but he never got that that great novel that that he wanted and he was you know forever the editor and and just kind of consumed with with somebody stealing his idea you know where did you get the idea of sort of really delving into him as a writer and and not getting everything that that he wanted Martin has so much yearning um, mm. for success and for uh, you know relationships or in aspects of relationships that he doesn't have and he's um, sort of always looking for the next thing or the better thing, um, which I think is maybe, you know, a, a common experience, but for him it um, ends up being debilitating in certain ways. I think it's also just always a creatively um, fruitful thing to explore various sets of anxieties, and I think that every writer has probably worried at some time or another that somebody else is doing their idea before they can get to it, whether that's, you know, a journalist who is worried about being scooped or, um, you know, when you're writing a novel and, and you're seeing all these other books coming out, it's not hard to start seeing little bits of your work in progress um, in other people's books because, you know, we all live in the world and we're all, you know, experiencing things together. So there are going to be overlaps. So just sort of sinking into into Martin's anxieties and and his sadnesses and frustrations was really interesting, but, but also sometimes sad yeah. <laughs> because he, he doesn't always get what he wants. And um Uh, And even when he does, then sometimes it's not enough. And I guess that's what we can all relate to as readers. You know, your characters are done in such a way that we can we can think of someone in our own lives who are like you know, Lillian or Moira or Martin, you know, or Georgia. <laughs> you know, you've, yeah. you've certain written a, written a cast of characters that we can all relate to. And and what I really loved is that you know you're going back and forth in the book from when they were younger to present day and and I loved how you weaved those time frames together and um, oh you have a puppy in the background <laughs> I'm so sorry that's okay that's okay you know how you just weaved everything together and I just um, I, I love that I could really identify with that and I and I liked that you um, the reader always didn't know what was going to be happening you think that one thing is going to happen and then you switch gears and you find out that what you thought was true isn't true. And I thought as a, as a reader, that was really exciting for me because it kind of gave me a, oh, that didn't happen or that, oh, that's how it worked out. So, so what happens is you end up thinking about what you read in previous chapters and you can kind of see where maybe there was a little room there to go, Mm, this didn't exactly happen the way we thought it was going to. So I just thought it was brilliant writing in weaving those things together. It must have been a lot of fun to sort of keep track of all the characters and, and what their wants were. It was, yeah. And I'm I'm so glad that that came across. It does also just feel like in life there's so many times when you 
either have a memory and then, um, I don't know if you've ever had this, but, you know, if you have a what feels like a very strong memory of something happening and then you talk about it with a friend who was there or a family member who was there and then you find out um, that they have a completely different or, or subtly different version of that, of events. And um, I think that that happens so often. And so being able to kind of try to capture that experience in the book for the characters in different aspects was was very fun. And I loved how you, you know, your your descriptions of of the places that these characters lived, you know, the time periods that they lived. And certainly, I was really, you know, uh, taken by New York City in the 60s and 70s. I think I was born at the wrong time. But, you know, you really described how, how young people were just, you know, reading about literature, they were they were going to speakeasies, and they were doing all of these really creative things. And, and there wasn't a cell phone in sight. And I just really, I kind of, you're for that time. So every time you went back to that time frame, it was like, oh, I get to be in this world again. I really love this world. So I loved how your storytelling was was able to, to take me inside the book. I think that's a very powerful, (laughs) it's a very powerful thing to be able to do. And it's it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and, And thank you. Thank you for that. It, um, oh well, thank you. <laughs> it made the characters live inside of me. It's one of those where you don't want to put down the put down the book. And I certainly, you know, think that when our listeners listen to this podcast, that they're going to get a sense of that as they're reading through the book, or maybe they'll listen to the podcast and and pick up the book not knowing about it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about doing this is that we let people know about the works of art that are out there that they maybe don't know about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I'm so grateful. I mean, any, yes, I am, I'm so grateful for, um, uh, for your taking the time to read it and to share it with your listeners. It's well, so De- yeah, Deb Simone and myself absolutely loved it. And, uh, and we'll be talking about it as well. So, you know, your, your book has been named by Harper's Bazaar as the best new book of the year, best book of the summer by the Boston Globe, Harper's Bazaar, um, and, and so many other accolades. Do you have aspirations to write another novel? I am writing another novel. Um, I started working on one while I was waiting for uh, edits back on the first book, and uh, so now I'm now I'm really in it, and um, I'm excited about it and uh you know always always just sort of feeling around in the dark (laughs) okay well we can't wait to see to see your name coming up again with a new work um thank you so much kazaya for for talking with me today and um yes we look forward to uh getting this book out there so that uh more people can start reading it oh well thank you so much i so appreciate it Wow, that was such an insightful conversation. Oh, that was so good. So it's so nice when we can have the authors on because we always, the three of us always have so many questions. So it's nice to get some of those answered. Our next book, which I'm really excited about, uh, we've previously talked with this author because we read her book, Breathless. Amy McCullough, yes. Breathless, that took place yes. um, in the Everest Mountain Range. It was a thriller. So now we are going to be reading Midnight. And Tanya, you've already kind of gotten the start on it. Yeah, I have. I don't know where, I, why I started it so early. But yes, I've got into it. And this time, uh, Amy is taking us to the southernmost point of the world. Like we're talking the bottom of, of Argentina. And she takes uh, a cruise to Antarctica. 
and to see the midnight sun, which is basically once you get to the to the southern pole, the midnight sun is basically the sun never sets. It sits on the horizon and it's kind of this really warm glow, oh my gosh. but it never gets dark. And so there's people that want to see the midnight sun. So um, it's it's a pretty intriguing book so far. It's a mystery. It's a suspense and just like um, breathless, you're sort of, you know, on the on the seat of your bed or whatever, going, what is going to be happening, you know? And she does a little bit of foreshadowing as well, which is sort of like, which is really interesting too. So um, I'm halfway through. I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, we'll be we'll be talking about that book next. A lot of fun. Looking forward oh, to it. Yeah, absolutely. As always, lovely chatting with you both, and uh, we will be back with you soon. All right. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Thank you for kicking back and relaxing with us. We hope you'll join us again on Relaxing Reads.